We have a couple of announcements to make. Um, we have a July 4th uh, picnic barbecue <laughs> at the Petersons. Uh, we did this uh, last year too, and it's it's a lot of fun. And so, huh? Before COVID. Just a second, I dislocated my microphone here. But what I wanted to make sure you know is we have a sign-up sheet out on the uh, table in the foyer. And what we want to know is basically your name, your phone number, how many people are planning to come. And if you want to sign up to bring a side dish of some kind, feel free to do so. There's a little block at the top of that section that's showing what they're bringing or what they're preparing, which is just about everything we need. Uh, and uh, Plus, they're doing the place servings and all that. And they're barbecuing hot dogs. So if you want something other than hot dogs, you have to bring it for yourself. And uh, that's, you know, uh, I think basically... And, and then the fireworks, yeah. Uh, they're planning to, to do fireworks around 9.30. So you have the option to stay there until 9.30, from 1 o'clock to, uh, until then, and have just that fellowship fun and, 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 and enjoy each other's company. Or you can leave and come back if you want. And uh, somebody says, well, with the, you know, is it safe out there with the field and stuff? They've got a place where it will be wet down and, and, and everything. We're not talking bottle rockets and all that kind of thing. We're talking more like the kids' sparklers and, and little fountains and stuff. So uh, we'll do that together around 9.30. So uh, July 4th, uh, fireworks uh, and, and barbecue potluck, I guess you could call it. Uh, yes, I, 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 well, a retired representative. Oh. <laughs> well, that's right. I keep forgetting you are a fireman. Yes. <laughs> yes. Bring chair uh, for, for per, one per person. Yes. Okay. And if you have any questions, you can give the Petersons a call too. That's. And uh, July eleventh uh, after church. Uh, we'll be having another barbecue like we did a few weeks ago. And uh, basically, again, you know, are we just going to do hamburgers and hot dogs again? Or? Yes, but this time, uh, feel free to bring sides and share. No desserts or dessert, we'll try to have a good Okay. So, sides and, and uh, barbecue and following church. Um Just reading some notes here real quick. Okay, I think that's all the announcements that I have to make. Uh, in the area of, of uh, prayer this morning, uh, I thought the, especially the, the need to pray for Surfside, Florida, uh, there in, in right the suburb of Miami, I guess. Uh, um, terrible tragedy. Uh, the last count I heard was that there's 135 people missing. Um, and uh, so, what you know, the, the pray certainly for the people that have uh, have uh, lost family members, and 
uh, and then uh, the people who have lost their their homes, um, uh, the uh, and protection for the emergency responders that are uh, putting their their life at risk, trying to go in and, and do everything they can. Uh, and it's it's I, I don't know how much of you have watched it or caught up with it, but they've had some fires burning underneath the rubble, which has increased the problems. And so uh, they just need prayer. And uh, then also, uh, Lee's uh, let us know that her health is is uh, not doing well, and so uh, we need to be praying for her. Uh, so let's pray together. Yeah. Father, we come to you this morning. We ask, Lord, that you would be with these needs that we have on our list. We think of, of, of all that's going on in Florida, and we ask, Lord, that you would be with these people. Comfort them as only you can. And be with, I, I, I think, especially a special prayer for the, uh, those who are, are the emergency personnel uh, how difficult it must be for them. And uh, we just ask, Lord, that you would be with them and strengthen them. They're working crazy hours. Keep them safe. Protect them. And, Lord, we pray for miracles. People, I've, I've already heard some people say, well, there couldn't possibly be anybody alive left at this point. With you, anything is possible. We just we bring it to you when we pray for the miraculous, Lord. We ask that you would be with Lee and and uh, just uh, comfort her and strengthen her, cause her to to know her limitations and what she can and can't do, and uh, bring strength and healing to her body. We continue to pray for Kay and ask, Lord, that you would. Uh, Heal her eyesight that she might be able to drive. And uh, we just uh, uh, miss her and ask, Lord, that you would bring strength, continue to strengthen her body as well. And Lord, we come in a general sort of way just uh, asking, Lord, that you would, uh, as we open your word this morning, minister to our hearts. Cause your word to speak to each of us, no matter what our need is. Uh, the, your word can meet every need and, and we just come to you and ask, Lord, that, that you would minister to us this morning as we share together. In Jesus' name, amen. We're sharing in our second message from uh, Jeremiah. And uh, Jeremiah, is, you've got to kind of catch a hold of this. I know we've, we've, we've looked at this last week a little bit, but again, just a reminder that you know Jeremiah is preaching during a most difficult time. Israel is disobeying God flagrantly, as, to, to, to put it in the nicest terms I can. And, and as a result, Jeremiah has been sent to them Constantly to bring the messages to the king uh, and and to the the leaders to the officials uh, to to show them what they need to do uh, to correct the situation because 
and, and he's bringing it an, an if-then situation. If you don't, then this is going to happen. And what's going to happen is Babylonia. You know, the, the King Nebuchadnezzar and the, the army of Babylon is going to crush them. And, uh, and so, this is the message that, that, that Jeremiah is bringing. And it's caused him, as a result, it causes him nothing but heartache. Uh, there are various times where, uh, you know, he's been persecuted. He's been not allowed to, to, uh, speak at the temple. He's been not allowed to, he's been under a form of house arrest. Uh, he was even, uh, we, in, in a chapter that we haven't looked at, but he was even thrown in a cistern, uh, that had no, uh, level of water in it, but the bottom of it was all miry and clay, and so he was stuck in there. And he had no food, no water, no anything. And fortunately, someone comes alongside on his behalf and, and he's able to, uh, get permission to get him out of there, but still he had to stay under, uh, house arrest. So, lots of things going on here. And what I wanted to share with you was, uh, three chapters, uh, chapter 36, or I mean chapter 34, 35, and 36. And I, obviously, if I'm going to share, share these, they're going to be brief summaries uh, of each of them. Uh, but in, in looking at these, uh, the, the, where I want to get to is chapter 35, talking about a particular people. And I don't know how you would feel, but if you didn't know anything about these people, and somebody came up and said, wow, you're a Rechabite, you might be offended. But I must tell you, it is an absolute compliment. It says that you've got your relationship with God together. And uh, the Rechabites were a unique people. And in the process of what we're going through, you'll find out that they didn't drink wine. They didn't build houses. Uh, they, did no, they didn't do farming. They didn't plant vineyards. They were nomadic herdsmen. And uh, as a result... Uh, and, and by the way, this was based on the command of one of their forefathers. And there's an interesting thing that, that Jeremiah is told to do. He's told to use these people as an, as an instructional group or as a lesson to the nation of, of Judah. And so to get the picture of what, how that happens, if I just went to 35 alone, you, you wouldn't see the, how desperate the need was. And so we need, uh, I'm just looking at, at, at chapter 34, or uh, uh, chapter 30, let's see, chapter 34 and chapter 35 and 36, yeah. Chapter 34. Uh, the condition uh, of the, the, the nation of, of, of Judah, uh, the, the heart of the Jewish people, uh, the, the city of Jerusalem, it needs to be understood so that you can really understand the lesson that God wants them to get out of chapter 35, the lesson of the Rechabites. Chapter 34, actually 34 through 39, uh, are a series of historical flashbacks and if you're reading through them, you're going to say, 
boy, wait, Zedadiah's king here, Jehoiakim, oh, and then Zedadiah, you know, and you, you'll see some inconsistencies. It's simply because the flashbacks are not presented in, in chronological order. They're presented in an order that, that brings about the story the way it needs to be to, pro, to, to make the lesson more uh, powerful. So we're going, as we look at this, uh, take a quick look at, at, at just a couple of these chapters. Like I said, chapter 34. The second invasion of Nebuchadnezzar is at hand. They're coming. And the king is aware of this, obviously. And Zedekiah is the king of Judah at this time. Now, I want to go to chapter 34 and just read the first few verses. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord when Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and all his army and all the kingdoms of the earth under his dominion and all the peoples were fighting against Jerusalem and all of its cities... Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Go and speak to Zedekiah, king of Judah, and say to him, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I am giving this city into the hand of the king of Babylon, and he shall burn it with fire. You shall not escape from his hand, but shall surely be captured and delivered into his hand. You shall see the king of Babylon eye to eye and and speak with him face to face, and you shall go to Babylon. In other words, you're going to become a captive of Nebuchadnezzar and taken away from Jerusalem uh, and, and pri- in, you know, basically imprisoned, if you will, in Babylon. Well, you can imagine that that probably caught the, 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 the ear of, of Zedekiah, but he was already thinking, you know, the, 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 this is almost here. The battle is almost ready to go. They're bigger and stronger. What have I got to do? Well, if I could just do something that God would approve of, that God would look at me and say, oh, that was something good, Zedekiah. And so he starts to think about this. Look at verse uh, 8. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord after King Zedekiah had made a covenant with all the people in Jerusalem to make a proclamation of liberty to them. Okay, in other words, this word up here came after what I'm reading now. He had made a covenant with all the people in Jerusalem to make a proclamation of liberty to them. That everyone should set free his Hebrew slaves male and female, so that no one should enslave a Jew, his brother. And they obeyed all the officials and all the people and, and who had entered into the covenant that everyone should set free his slave, male or female, so that they would not be enslaved uh, again. They obeyed and set them free. Now, what this was based on was going back to Deuteronomy. There was when you when a person uh, was indebted or, or needed to settle debts, they could sell themselves as a Jewish person into slavery, and in doing so, they could be enslaved for six years. On the seventh year, they had to be set free; their debt settled, and 
that had gone by the wayside. These people were, 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 had become basically in, in, indentured, if you will, for life. And, and so, and not only them, but their, their families. And if they had kids, it was, it, it had become very, very corrupt in the way the, 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 the leadership and the wealthy people dealt with this. And so they completely had set aside the law of God. Now, but you have to understand, this is not the only thing that they had set aside. But this is the one that he's pointing out here. And so, he, he makes it clear that, you know, okay, we're gonna, we're gonna, and, and all the people agreed. They got together and agreed. Verse 17, but, if you have a therefore or a but or something like that, you gotta know that something is gonna be different or inconsistent or there's gonna be a, a conflict of some kind. Afterward, they turned around and took back the male and female slaves they had set free and brought them into subjection as slaves. Now, what had happened here? And I'll explain it as, as best I can. Nebuchadnezzar is coming. He's almost at their, their, their walls. His huge, massive army... And all of a sudden, Egypt rises up and starts to come from their behind. Okay? Nebuchadnezzar and Egypt aren't good friends. <laughs> this is not a good thing. So Nebuchadnezzar turns his army around and goes after Egypt. So what Zedekiah did was he saw, oh, look, you know, we, we don't have the threat anymore. Let's go back to the way we were doing it. And that's exactly what they did. It's important to see that in order to understand what happens here. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, verse 12. Jeremiah from the, uh, from the Lord, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I myself made a covenant with your fathers when I brought them out of the land of Egypt out of the house of bondage, saying, At the end of the seven years, each of you must set free the fellow Hebrew who has been sold to you and has served you six years. You must set him free and, and from uh, your service. But your fathers did not listen to me or incline their ears to me. You recently repented. And you did what was right in my eyes by proclaiming liberty. Each to his neighbor, and you made a covenant before me in the house that is called by my name. Now, the fact that they made a covenant means that that included all the sacrifices that would be necessary to be made, and everything had been done. And so, this was no small thing. But then, you turned around and profaned my name. Now, remember, this is... God speaking to Jeremiah and then and Jeremiah now relaying this message. You profaned God's name, not Jeremiah's, God's name. When each of you took back his male and female slaves whom you had set free according to their desire and you uh, brought them into subjection to be your slaves. This picture of profaned his name, the word profaned is, is uh, it's got three key 
words that can that can go with it. It's the idea that you wounded something, or that you had pierced something, or you had defaced something. Most of them say uh, that as they look at this in the commentary, say that the best one is to deface. You know that you've defaced my name. You have de- you you you've made my name uh, something horrible. You you. It's like spraying graffiti all over God's name. You know, I mean, it was just, you've defaced my name. However, a couple, I thought, got into this picture of, of, of all three of these ideas, wounded and pierced, because it says, you know, you know, because God's heart was pierced. We forget that in God, as we see his, his anger at their sin, that God, you know, he, he weeps over this. There's scriptures that tell us that when a, when a person dies in their sin, God weeps. And when a person who is of the family of God dies, he rejoices. I have to confess, I tend to be the exact opposite. Somebody that has served God and, and, and they're, they're a good friend and, and you love them and all that they do, you sit there and you, you miss them and you're sad and some drug lord gets nailed and, and you say, good riddance. You know? But God's the exact opposite. He's, he weeps over that and rejoices when a believer comes home. So keep in mind that God could be wounded and pierced at the, while He's being defaced. <laughs> and, and so... Uh, I, I think that's an important part of this. So he says, Therefore, thus saith the Lord, you have not obeyed me by proclaiming liberty, every one of his brothers and to his neighbor. Behold, I proclaim to you liberty to the sword, to pestilence and to famine, declares the Lord. I will make you a horror to all the kingdoms of the earth. Drop down to verse 21. And Zedekiah, king of Judah, and his officials, I will give into the hand of their enemies and into the hand of those who seek their lives, into the hand of the army of the king of Babylon, which was withdrawn from you. In other words, because he'd gone after Egypt temporarily. Behold, I will command, declares the Lord, and will bring them back to this city, and they will fight against it and take it and burn it with fire. I will make the cities of Judah a desolation without inhabitant. That means that either Babylon will kill or capture all of the people of, of Judah. And that's pretty much the way it ends up and happens. I want to jump over to verse 36, or chapter 36, and then we'll come back to chapter 35. And I'm going to do this very quickly. I'm, I'm not going to read through it all. Uh, in verses 1 through 3, Jeremiah is told to write his, all the words that God has given him to write them down. And so he has a secretary, if you will, someone who writes for him. So as he speaks, this man is writing on a scroll. And the name, the man, name of the man is Baruch. And, and he's doing the writing. When it's all said and done, Jeremiah is still under a, a form of arrest and, 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 and can't leave uh, his, his residence. So he says, Baruch, I want you to go to the temple 
and in such and such a court, and I want you to read this aloud. Read it to the officials. And so he does. He goes there and he reads it to the, to the court officials. Well, only a few of them are there, but they go and talk to their other, the other officials and say, Oh, you, you won't believe what, what, what Jeremiah wrote and what Baruch, uh, Baruch read. And, and it's, 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 what's coming is terrible. Well, come, have him read it to us. And so they, all the officials get together and they, they listen to it. And they said, Oh, that's not enough. We need to have this read to the king. And this is what happens when it's read to the king. 36, chapter 36, verse 22. It was the ninth month, and the king was sitting in his winter house, and there was a fire burning in the fire pot before him. As Jehudai read three or four columns, the king would cut them off with, his, with a knife and throw them into the fire in the fire pot. So here's, he's reading the scroll, unrolling it, and as he's unrolling and reading, uh, reading the scroll, every few pay, you know, columns, the king reaches over with his, his, his knife and slices of the scroll, takes it and throws it into the fire. That's what he is doing. You know. and, and so, uh, until the entire scroll is consumed in the fire that was in the fire pot. Yet neither the king nor any of the servants who heard all these words was afraid. Nor did they tear their garments. Even when Elnathan and Delahai and Gamariah urged the king not to burn the scroll, he would not listen to them. And so he burns the scroll that God had authored through Jeremiah, basically. What audacity. I mean, talk about somebody who's... I mean, he was just going like this at God. You know? Uh, and and, and he, he didn't care. It says, And the key thing here is that he was not afraid. Nobody was afraid that was with him. They should have been terrified. He should have read that and heard... As he heard those words, he should have been... Uh, consumed with a sense of, of, of fear and tearing his clothes and saying, forgive me, God. And instead he took and cut it up as it was being read and burned it. You've got to love what happens here. Verse 27. After the king had burned the scroll with the words that Baruch uh, wrote at Jeremiah's dictation, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Take another scroll and write on it all the former words that were in the first scroll, which Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, has burned. And concerning Jehoiakim, king of Judah, you shall say, Thus saith the Lord, You have burned this scroll, saying, why have you written it in the king of Babylon will certainly come and destroy this land and will cut off from the, a man and beast? Therefore, thus saith the Lord concerning Jehoiakim, king of Judah, he shall have none to sit on the throne of David, and his dead body shall be cast out to the heat by the day and the frost by night. In other words, these kings 
of, of, of Judah had no regard for God. This was the condition of the Hebrew people as a whole. They were going through the motions. They still were going to the temple. They were still doing their sacrifices. But they were simply doing it out of duty, out of, out of status, if you will, uh, because that was what was expected. But there was no heart in it. Now, and, and so they weren't keeping God's word at all. Now, that brings us to what God was doing with the Rechabites here. Chapter 35, verses 1 through 4 first here. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, go to the house of the Rechabites and speak with them. And bring them to the house of the Lord into one of the chambers. Then offer them wine to drink. So I took uh, Jehazaniah, the son of Jeremiah, son of Habazaniah, and his brothers and all his sons and the whole house of the Rechabites, and brought them to the house of the Lord. Now, who are these Rechabites? Well, if you go back... You'll, and, and I'm just going to give you a, a quick history, if you will. Uh, if you go back to, to uh, oh, say Second uh, Second Chronicles chapter two and verse fifty-five uh, speaks about the Rechabites and their descendants. They are descendants of the Kenites. Does the word Kenite ring a bell in, in anybody's thinking? It should. It might not come right back to you, but at least the words you've heard before. Okay. The Kenites, uh, Jethro was a Kenite. He was the, hu- the father of, of Miriam, uh, Moses' wife. Okay? And so Rechabite is, is a descendant of a Kenite. That means they're not Jewish. Okay? They were Canaanites. However, they had a, 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 an ancestor, Jehonadab, and well, let's let's look at what he 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 told them. Well, let's just go through this. I, I starting with verse five. Then I set before the Rechabites pitchers full of wine and cups, and I said to them, "Drink wine." But they answered, "We will drink no wine, for Jehonadab the son of Rehab, our father, commanded us." You shall not drink wine, neither shall uh, neither you nor your sons forever. You shall not build a house. You shall not sow seed. You shall not uh, plant or have a vineyard. But you shall live in the tents all your days, that you may live lives uh, that you may live many days in the land where you sojourn. We have obeyed the voice of Jehonadab, the son of Rechab, our father, in all that he commanded us. To drink no wine all our days, ourselves, our wives, our sons, or our daughters, and not to build houses to dwell in. We have no vineyard or field or seed, but we have lived in tents and have obeyed and done all that Jehonadab, our father, commanded us. Now, they happen to be in the city of Israel, or Jerusalem, at this time. And there is a reason, 
It says, but when Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up against the land, we said, come and let us go to Jerusalem for fear of the army of the Chaldeans and the army of the Syrians. So we are living in Jerusalem. A, a tentative uh, situation where they're, they're, they're there just for a short period of time until they can move back out. But generally speaking, they have obeyed all of these other things. So, why would God tell Jeremiah to bring the Rechabites and their, all their clan leaders and stuff like that into the temple? They're not Jews. <laughs> and ask them to drink wine, which wasn't a sin. It wasn't wrong. And they said, we can't do it. Because of a vow every one of us have taken to honor what Jehonadab asked us to do, our ancestral father. The picture that's going on here is that what God is showing them is that here are the Rechabites. They are, are more loyal to a man who is earthly who is uh, who is flesh and blood than Israel is to the God who dwells amongst them and he goes on to tell them that the the the, the nation of, of of Judah is going to be cursed and the Rechabites are blessed he says they'll have a man to stand before God for for forever Somebody says, does that mean there's a Rechabite standing before God today? Someplace, somewhere, yes. The Rechabites became an object lesson, I guess you might say, of faithfulness. What it means to, to be loyal and, and keep a vow. And they did it completely on the basis of, of, of an earthly environment. They said, the, 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 the statement that goes with it, if they can do this, how much more should Israel be able, want to keep the vow with the, the God of all creation who has dwelt among them, who delivered them out of Egypt and who has come alongside them over and over and over again? Why would they not want to be in a positive relationship with Him? So he says, basically, I'm going to kind of give you what you want. You want to thumb your nose at me? I'll take my covering away from you. And Nebuchadnezzar, by the time it's all said and done, conquers them and takes them away. And, and the few people that they left uh, were the poorer people. And the poorer people were given by the, the, the officials of Nebuchadnezzar, were given the land to farm and to, and to survive on. The question thing is, is that, and this is what I think is, is reality, is as, is as we look around our nation, do we see any similarities? Okay. As we look around the world, do we see the similarities? Okay. So we're aware that... that Things don't seem to be much different today than they were, you know, 2,500 years ago. Um, 
the question then says that comes, what kind, and I, I, I personalize this, what kind of lesson am I sending out? And I'm not suggesting that we, we try to put it into the community at this point yet of, of, of church and churches and stuff like that, but just, just personalize Within the framework of my family, within the framework of my associations and the people that I'm around, what kind of lesson am I sending out? Do I, does it parallel the Rechabites in any way as to loyalty and, and, and keeping my vow to God? You know, I made a vow to God. And if you're a believer, so did you. You confessed Him as the God of all creation, the God of salvation. And, and that He raised Jesus from the dead and, and that Jesus is our Savior. So, you know, those, those are, are statements of covenant and vow. Uh, and so, what kind of, of, within the framework of what I've said I am, because it was really interesting, all the Jewish people still went around saying, I'm Jewish. God, I'm the favored child of God. They, they, even in the midst of, of their worst sins, they would be saying those kinds of things. Think about when Jesus came into the picture and what He said to some of these uh, leaders, the Pharisees. You know, hypocrites. You know, uh, he, he called them, go to, what is it, chapter 22 of, of Matthew, the, tw- the seven woes. Woe to you, hypocrites and, and, and scoundrels, if you will. Uh, the idea was is that you're dishonest. You're not who you say you are. God doesn't miss this. He's not being fooled by anything that we do in the sense of giving or, or a sense of duty. Uh, you, know, uh, you know, so I, I put here... Uh, what kind of lesson am I sending out? And then I thought of, uh, we would be coming into communion in just a moment, and I said, uh, what does he see as I enter into communion? Because he knows my heart. Does he see a person performing a duty? Or maybe a tradition? I was just reading an article the other day that, that was talking about communion and how in Acts chapter 2 it says that as often as they gathered together, they broke bread. Well, that breaking of bread also can be translated and is in another, another place that they had a meal together. But the way it's put in Acts chapter 2, it's, in, it, it, it's the idea of breaking bread, having communion together. As often as they gathered together. How often were they gathering together at that point? Does anybody know? Daily. <laughs> so, so, you know, people say, well, if you have communion too often, it becomes routine, becomes traditional, and we take the, the, the awesomeness of it, you know, kind of, we just, we just do it. Well, if that's the case, it's not the doing it often that's wrong. It's our heart. And so I put this in my, my, my thinking, you know, what does God see? And then I, and I, and, and I, only thing that I could, could do that I thought was appropriate for me at this point was, was to read to myself, and now I'm going to share it with you, Psalm 51. 
as we prepare our hearts for, for communion. David writes, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. This idea of steadfast love is, is, is mercy, uh, charity, grace. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. In other words, he's saying I deserve to be judged. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear the joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out my iniquities. Wow. I'm going to drop down and read another part of Psalm 51 first, starting at verse 15. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth with the, uh, will declare Your praise. For You will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, You will not despise. Before we ever give in our tithing, before we ever do something in the sense of ministry for the Lord, this is what He wants. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. God, you will not despise. Go back to verse 10. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from Your presence and take not Your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of Your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. I can't even do the willing spirit without His reaching into me. Uphold me. Lift my head and hold me up uh, and create within me, as implied, a willing spirit. I even have to ask God to give me the spirit to want. His touch and His grace and His forgiveness. Create in me a clean heart. A broken, contrite heart. And what is it broken over? My sin. Not the sin. I, I, I can weep for my nation and, I can, and, and there's a point in time where we are to be, have, be broken hearted over the sin of our nation and, and this type of thing. But it must begin here. If it doesn't start here, then the rest of it doesn't amount to anything. When I'm in communion, what does God see in me? Does He see me desiring a clean heart? I think there's a question that you could ask yourself. I think it's a, a, a reasonable question. We're going to share communion. Ask yourself, why am I taking communion today? Just think about that. For you know, We're going to sing a song um, here as we prepare our hearts uh, with, uh, with a worship song uh, for communion. 
uh, why am I taking communion today? So let's share our song. Uh, we're, we're still doing the packets. Uh, if you haven't got a, 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 a communion packet, they're out on the table in the foyer. Uh, feel free to go and get one while we're singing our song. And uh, we'll share communion together in just a moment.
In the Gospel of Mark, the Lord's Supper is recorded in chapter 14, starting with verse 22. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, He broke it, and He gave it to them, and He said, Take, this is My body. He went on and said, and, and Jesus took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for the many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it anew in the kingdom of God. Let us share. Father, we come I just think of the song we just sang and, and just hearts of amazement that God of all creation is our Savior. That we rest in you for your grace and your mercy and your love. It's not something we can generate, it's not something we can earn, but it's something we receive through coming into that personal relationship with You, confessing with our mouth, believing in our hearts that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, raised from the dead. The grave has been defeated through the blood of Jesus Christ. And Your resurrection not only shows us that it is done, but that it's also the promise of what is to come for us as well. And then as we share in communion, You tell us this is something that You're going to share with us again when we drink it new in the kingdom of God, we look forward to that day. We ask, Father, that You would go with us. Cause us to frequently through any given day think about what our witness is to You. Our, our, just our, our day-to-day witness. Does it match our words? Does it match our confession? And Lord, where we're falling short, convict us. And then strengthen us and give us the will and the desire and the strength to pursue a closer walk with You. We worship You and we praise You and we thank You for all that You have done, all that You are doing, and all that You are yet going to do. And we worship You and praise You. In Jesus' name, Amen. Would you stand as we close, please?
dark of night before the dawn my soul be not afraid for the promised morning oh how long oh God I'm Jacob be Sign-up sheet out here for the 4th of July. 